When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Save big on Brunch for Mom, all in the Kroger app. Get 16-ounce packs of flavorful Angus 90% Lean Ground Sirloin for $4.99 each with a digital coupon. Then buy two, get two free on 12 packs of delicious Coca-Cola, Pepsi, or 7-Up, all with your card. Shop these deals at your local Kroger today. Or tap the screen now to download the Kroger app to save big today. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Prices and product availability subject to change. Restrictions apply. See site for details. Mayors play an important role in the day-to-day civic life of Americans who live in cities or towns. Whether a municipality has a strong mayor system like we have in Miami-Dade County, where the mayor is much closer to what we imagine the presidential powers to be, or a weak mayor system like we have in the city of Miami, where the mayor is closer to the head of Chamber of Commerce than the president, that person commands attention. So when people who are holding or have held that office die unexpectedly, it's quite a shock to the community. In 2017, Edwin Lee, who served as the 43rd mayor of San Francisco, died unexpectedly. The news was plastered on the front of both major San Francisco newspapers and attracted national coverage. Four times men who served as mayor of the city of Miami died while in office. Those men include Everett George Sewell in 1940, Robert King High in 1967, and Stephen P. Clark on June 4, 1996. Each time, the Miami Herald and or the Miami News had significant coverage at the very tippity-top of their front page. It was the dominant story. But as I mentioned, there were four men who died in office as mayor of Miami. And the fourth man, Parker Adair Henderson, didn't quite get the same treatment as the other three. It's not to say that his story wasn't on the front page, but something happened right around the time of his death that pushed the attention that would normally be given to him a little bit to the side. When residents of Miami picked up their copy of the Miami Herald on July 27, 1925, The news of Mayor P.A. Henderson's death was there, pushed down the page by a four-word headline, William Jennings Bryan Dead. The great commoner's passing, though he was not an elected official in Miami, had huge ramifications for South Florida and the nation. And that will be our focus today. This day in Miami history, July 27, 1925 when news editors in Miami had to make a choice about which significant death should headline the city's front pages. The high times and low times All in the nightlife I am a surprise Will open your eyes But when the day breaks You feel the sun kiss If this paradise On what you wish It would not seem likely at the beginning of their lives that P.A. Henderson and William Jennings Bryan 
would appear side by side on the front of Miami's newspapers. After all, when Bryan was born in 1860 and Henderson born in 1875, there was really no Miami to speak of. Bryan was born in southern Illinois, while Henderson was born in Hampton, Georgia, now a suburb of Atlanta. Both men would be drawn from an early age into their particular fields of choice. For Henderson, that was lumber, taking a large role in his father's company at age 16. At the same age that Henderson was becoming involved in the lumber business, Bryan was becoming involved in the politics business, attending the 1876 Democratic National Convention in St. Louis, a party whose conventions he would become very involved in as he grew older. Mr. Chairman and gentlemen of the convention, I would be presumptuous indeed to present myself against the distinguished gentleman to whom you have listened if this were a mere measuring of abilities. But this is not a contest between persons. The voice you're hearing is that of William Jennings Bryan. He's delivering a speech on bimetallism, a speech that was delivered by him at the 1896 Democratic National Convention in Chicago. Now, the recording you're hearing isn't actually from Chicago. It was later recorded by Bryan at Jeanette Studios in Richmond, Indiana in 1921. The speech was so popular that even decades later, Americans with phonographs wanted to hear it in their homes. It's better known, of course, by three simple words. Cross of gold. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Save big on Brunch for Mom, all in the Kroger app. Get 16-ounce packs of flavorful Angus 90% Lean Ground Sirloin for $4.99 each with a digital coupon. Then buy two, get two free on 12 packs of delicious Coca-Cola, Pepsi, or 7-Up, all with your card. Shop these deals at your local Kroger today. Or tap the screen now to download the Kroger app to save big today. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Prices and product availability subject to change. Restrictions apply. See site for details. Jennings would go on to win the Democratic nomination for president at that convention in 1896 and go on to lose the presidential election later that year. That pattern would repeat itself in both 1900 and 1908, making Bryan one of the most successful nominees and unsuccessful general election candidates in American political history. Bryan's failures were partially his own, but also partially the failure of his party. After the Civil War, between 1865 and 1912, only one Democrat would be elected to the White House, Grover Cleveland. And even then, he served two separate terms, losing his re-election bid in 1888 and only regaining the office in 1893. Jennings would not be the man to break the streak, but Woodrow Wilson would, defeating a splintered Republican Party in 1912. Bryan proved key in Wilson's victory, throwing support behind him early in the Democratic nominating process. His reward? Nomination as Secretary of State of the United States. 
something else important happened to William Jennings Bryan in 1912. He and his wife decided to buy land and build a house in Coconut Grove. The home would come to be known as Villa Serene, located right on prime Biscayne Bay real estate. It was a winter home for the Bryans while he served as Secretary of State until 1915, and then afterward became a more permanent base of operation. While Brian traveled the nation and the globe, building a reputation as one of the most well-known and beloved Americans of his time, Parker Adair Henderson built a less high-profile life in Miami, but still one that was pretty darn respectable. As I mentioned earlier, he worked in lumber his whole life, starting in Georgia. But in 1906, he decided to come to Miami. He organized with his brother-in-law, the McCrimmon Lumber Company. In 1912, Henderson bought out his brother-in-law and formed the company of P.A. Henderson. But Henderson wouldn't be confined to wood. He decided, like most Miamians of the time, to begin investing in real estate. And eventually, he would become one of the larger real estate holders in the city. He'd become a director of First National Bank and a director of the First National Company. Henderson's aspirations weren't limited to the business world. And on June 1st, 1915... Exactly one week and one day before the resignation of William Jennings Bryan as Secretary of State, Parker Adair Henderson defeated incumbent Mayor John W. Watson by 298 votes to become the next mayor of the city of Miami. It wouldn't be long before Jennings and Henderson would collaborate. Their idea? One of the more ambitious projects ever seen in pre-1926 Miami. Ever since the 1880s, there had been repeated efforts to form what was known as a Pan-American University, a university or university system comprised of the United States and its neighbors in Central and South America. Initially, the focus was on Texas, specifically around the area of Galveston. But by the 19-teens, the proposed campus locations had included Texas, Panama, Puerto Rico, and no actual university had yet been founded. William Jennings Bryan had always been a big supporter of this idea, and by 1916, he believed he had the perfect spot for what would become Miami's Pan American University. He lobbied for it. He brought in experts from throughout Latin America to Miami to speak at the First Presbyterian Church and explain why this university was a good idea. He volunteered himself, free of charge, as a lecturer and even as Chancellor Emeritus of the university-to-be. And on March 1st, 1916, Brian and Henderson were two of the 13 men who signed their names to charter the Pan-American University Association in Florida. Now, it is important to note that no official quote-unquote Pan-American University ever did open up in Miami. However, the University of Miami does count this Pan-American University chartering as a very influential step in what would become the University of Miami. Brian was an advocate of Coral Gables, oftentimes lecturing in the city, attempting to support George Merrick in his effort to develop an American Riviera. As the 19-teens changed to the 1920s, both Brian and Henderson found more and more success in South Florida. For Henderson, it was an expansion of his business, 
and a renewed appetite for politics. For Brian, it was a little bit of everything, but especially his role in attempting to merge civic and religious life. Now, you may be thinking, this is the early 1900s. How hard of an ask was that? Well, William Jennings Bryan was very serious about his role in public life and even more serious about his role in religious life. William Jennings Bryan taught Sunday school at First Presbyterian Church in downtown Miami. It grew so popular that eventually the Sunday school would have to move outside. Bryan would take his spot in the band shell at Royal Palm Park and oftentimes speak to thousands of Miamians and tourists who wanted to hear the great commoner. It's for this reason why, in the late spring of 1925, Baptist pastor William Bell Riley, the founder and president of the World Christian Fundamentals Association, contacted Brian and asked him to serve as a special prosecutor for a trial that was going to take place in Dayton, Tennessee. Subject of this trial? A man named John T. Scopes, and whether he, in his role as a public school educator, had taught the theory of evolution. Riley and the WCFA sent their invitation on May 12, 1925. Brian, then in Pittsburgh, eagerly confirmed that same day that he would be there. Brian would conclude his national tour and return to Miami on June 7, 1925. After all, he had important business to attend to. He had promised commencement speeches to the graduates of Dade County Agricultural High School and Coconut Grove High School. In both speeches, he appeared to foreshadow what would be coming at the Scopes Monkey Trial, telling graduates of the Dade County Agricultural High School, Science gives us great things, but it takes more than education to make a man or woman. Education without religion may destroy you or make you a menace to those about you. What's very interesting about what happens in the next month is the fact that Brian clearly has two very conflicting responsibilities that he holds incredibly dear in his head. The one responsibility is to the trial. His preparations for the trial he considers the supreme work of his life, as he writes to friends in June 1925. He holds up in his home for weeks, preparing, writing, researching. He puts a particular focus on the closing statement, believing this to be the pinnacle of his ability to argue for the importance of religion in public life. At the same time, though, he clearly still has a commitment to the outside world. And so in between these days of lengthy work and research, he speaks to the Coconut Grove Baptist Church on their Children's Day. He attends a commencement at Fort Pierce High School. He takes a short trip to Atlanta to talk with the other prosecutors in the Scopes case, comes back, helps to dedicate the Riverside Presbyterian Church in Miami, and offers a speech on the day of its dedication. He even announces and places an ad in the Society page of the Miami Herald, letting the community know that he intends to lead a Holy Land pilgrimage with his wife in spring 1926. All of this takes place in the month before he departs for Dayton to help with the prosecution in the Scopes trial. Brian was confident of his victory giving a rather in-depth interview to the Miami Tribune on Friday, July 3rd, 1925. He told reporter Brian Collier that, quote, religion will triumph. Two days later, at 6.40 p.m., Brian boarded a northbound train headed for Jacksonville and eventually Dayton, Tennessee. 
he must have stepped on that train thinking that he was on his way to the biggest battle of his life, confident in his ability, and almost certainly eager for divine inspiration to win the battle and return home to Miami as a conquering hero. He did win the battle. Scopes was found guilty by a jury of his peers, but he unquestionably lost the war. The trial was a farce. It was a test case meant to question the Butler Act, a law passed by the Tennessee legislature which forbade evolution, and in particular, it was meant to raise the profile of Dayton, Tennessee. It did both things, but in the process, William Jennings Bryan became the punching bag. He was represented as an intellectual inquisitor, attempting to punish people who thought differently outside the scope of the Bible. He was also presented as a buffoon, H.L. Mencken covering the case for the Baltimore Sun and for other newspapers, went so far as calling his speeches theologic bilge. Remember that closing argument that he worked so hard on? The lead attorney for the defense, Clarence Darrow, waived his right to give his closing argument, and because of a technicality in Tennessee state law, the prosecution couldn't give theirs either. It remained on a piece of paper in Brian's pocket. He would not get the chance to return to Miami as that conquering hero, as I mentioned a moment ago. But not because of the hard press, but because he never returned to Miami at all. Within five days of the conclusion of the trial, William Jennings Bryan was dead. Victim of what was then called apoplexy, what we would now call a stroke. Bryan, already one of the world's most famous men before the Scopes Monkey trial, at the peak of his national attention, is no more. It's no wonder Parker Adair Henderson, mayor of Miami, is relegated to second-class status on the front of Miami's newspapers. After all, Henderson had only been re-elected mayor in June of 1925, serving less than two full months of that second term. Henderson also died of apoplexy in his West Flagler Street home. Brian was buried in Arlington National Cemetery after receiving full military honors. He was a colonel for service during the Spanish-American War, although his regiment never made it further than Jacksonville, Florida. Henderson was buried at Miami City Cemetery in downtown. Who was the great commoner, after all? While it's true that, unlike William Jennings Bryan, Parker Adair Henderson's name is not so likely to appear in history textbooks across the generations. There is a rather nice tribute to him. You can find it in the book Miami and Dade County, Florida, Its Settlement, Progress, and Achievement by E.V. Blackman, who was president of the Dade County Historical Society. The book was published in 1921, so this isn't an obituary. It's just a profile of different important leaders in Miami's then-young history. Reading from Blackman. He is a wide-awake and energetic businessman, modern in his methods and progressive in his ideas, and his success has been used to further not only his individual prosperity, but also the best interests of the community. His name is a synonym for ability, enterprise, and that public spirit which is evidenced in practical work for the general welfare. It's not quite the honors given to Brian in his life or his death, but it ain't bad either. As always, first and foremost, I want to thank you, the listener, for tuning in and checking out this episode. 
I always want to give credit to newspapers.com, which is an invaluable resource for me as I conduct my research. This episode was spawned just by a happenstance page that I pulled up one evening, noticed that the mayor of Miami's death was kind of far down the page. So sometimes the episodes are rather evident in their importance in Miami history, and sometimes they are total accidents. If you're at all interested in Miami history, I do encourage you to check out that book by E.V. Blackman that was published in 1921. It's now in the public domain. I'll include a link in the description of this episode to the archive.org page where you can read it for free. And again, I do appreciate you listening, and if you feel so inclined and so generous, I'd really appreciate it if you'd consider leaving a review for this day in Miami history on your preferred podcast provider. I hope you have a great rest of your month, and until next time, I've been Matthew Bunch. The high times and low times, all in the nightlife. I am a surprise, will open your eyes. But when the day breaks, you feel the sun kiss. Feel this paradise on what you wish. Without the ones like you, who work tirelessly to keep things running, everything would suddenly stop. Hospitals, factories, schools, and power plants, they all depend on you. No matter the weather, emergency, or time of day, you're the ones who get it done. At Granger, we're here for you with professional-grade industrial supplies. Count on real-time product availability and fast delivery. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply.